0: This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms live. And now, on with the show. everyone welcome to wandering dms i'm paul
1: and i'm dan and on this episode of wandering dms we have a very special guest mr matt finch who is the creator of the award-winning swords and wizardry game uh he's author of the quick primer on old school gaming and he's creative director at frog god games matt so much thanks so much for joining us today
2: oh pleased to be here awesome awesome
1: so you have been one of our top um, hunts, one of our top quests for a guest, and Paul and I have wanted to get you on for quite some time, and our viewers and patrons have wanted to see you as well. So we finally, we finally found some time that you could join us, and we're so thrilled about that. Um, how have you been doing in the last year? You know, so we we spoke really, really briefly just days before the the quarantine happened in 2020, actually. So. How have you been doing in the last uh, year with that?
2: Oh, pretty well. I mean, uh, uh, I live in an apartment, and I've got uh, Zach Glazer, who is the, the chief operating officer of the company, he lives in the same uh, complex, and we've got this little uh, office that we work from. So, really, I've done like uh, like many, many other you know good nerds and just you know batting down the hatches, stayed in my place. I can walk to the grocery store, uh, walk anywhere that I need to, and uh, you know it's, it's been it's, it's been basically that.
1: Uh, I'm glad glad to hear that, and uh, pretty much same for me. Paul wants to get out more than I do. I'll yeah. say, I will say that. So Paul's looking
0: forward <laughs> to getting with other people. I'm like, yeah, yeah. this has yeah. been going pretty well for me. I'd I, say. I mean, w- when when we talked, it was back at uh, Total Con, which was like I think the last convention we got to go to before those all yeah. shut down. I'm very eager to see those get started up again, though my. My suspicion is it will take some time. That that's <laughs> that's a, a setting that's gonna gonna need a little more, a little more reassurance to get back to.
2: Pretty soon. Yeah. Well, soon. I'm, I'm actually going to be going to North Texas, which I think is probably the first scheduled uh, convention that's that's opening up, um, and that is because that's next month. So wow. we'll be there. We'll see how they're able to. Um, handle all of the, the the difficulties and stuff involved in it. But awesome. I think that's a good it's a really small con. So I think it'll be a good, you know ratchet in to, to step up to larger things like like Gen Con.
0: Awesome. We'll be watching that eagerly I think to see how it goes. I got my Gen Con ticket this morning. They just yeah. opened it up this
1: morning. Oh really okay. <laughs> Wow. I, I don't dare a Gen Con's so big I don't dare to go that anymore. I saw. I think I saw a video of people going in like two years ago, and I was like, eh, it's not for me.
2: <laughs> I, well, I suspect I suspect it's going to be a little bit less packed in this year, so yeah, I just yeah. just a suspicion. Okay. That, that, okay. I would agree with that, yeah.
1: Sure. And that's pushed to September, right? Normally August, but it's September this year, right? Yeah, it's
2: September.
1: I, I, I will say to our viewers, we do have uh, Peter Atkinson, who, who runs Gen Con, scheduled for, I think, around September 1st of this year, actually, tell us what's happening with Gen Con just before that kicks off. So uh, we'll look forward to that in a couple of months. Um, you know, it's funny about North Texas because I feel like it has a bigger mind share for me than its actual size. Like for my, like my mindset, I guess, particularly for old school gaming, it's like, well, there's Gen Con and then there's like Gary Con and North Texas kind of on the same plane to my mind. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's influential, I would say
2: yeah it's it's got i think it's got influence that's sort of larger than its size just because it was you know founded really as a hobby con um by doug who is i, I is, you know and what he did was he is he tries to get a ratio of special guests to attendees that's way way higher than most um places do because it's his vacation and um so it's always had a really really large number of special guests and also the special guests since they're mostly um you know people who worked for tsr um you know people whose whose influence is, is further back um you, you know it's it, it's a little bit less effort to be able to you know meet the requirements of what the special guests are you don't have people who are you know currently at the top of a media market um you know who are going to be charging accordingly so it's able to do interesting. that interesting very cool
1: all it's right now I it, and I, I, that's, yeah that's really good so i um I, I felt really bad when I noticed that you had uh, a, a new adventure that you were doing an Indiegogo campaign for that just wrapped up like a week ago or so. Um, and I wish that we <laughs> caught you while I was still still running, but it was very, very successful. So you, it, it hit its you know, goal on Indiegogo by, by over time six. And that is your adventure Death Ship of the Roach Princess, which is mm-hmm. I mean, they're all wonderful titles but that's among my, among my favorite titles of date. day. Um, can you tell us, can you tell us it just like elevator pitch, like
2: what that one's about? Uh, sure, it's, um, well, it was originally planned, what, what had happened was that we, we had one that came out before it called, uh, Uh, The Fiend of Turlin's Well, which was written by Skeeter Green, and it was originally planned as being the first, his one was planned as being the first in an arc of 12 adventures, and then we decided that that we would go with the Indiegogo and just use the first one. So what you had there was an adventure uh, in his that left a lot of loose ends that were supposed to get tied up over the course of the later adventures. And so what I did was I wrote a second adventure that tied up all of those loose ends, and so I went into it with that objective to do. But um, Death Ship is actually a... Uh, it is freestanding, but it can also be used either as a sequel or as a prequel to Skeeter's Adventure, Fiend of Tirling as well. Um, and this is the actual, uh, this is the printer proof. So if wow. there are any mistakes on here, that's because it's a, a proof only. Um, but uh, so there's, there's that. It's, um, it starts with the extreme likelihood that the characters are going to get trapped on a ship that they're investigating it's not quite all the way over to the slave lords thing of you begin in a dungeon you know sort of thing but they they, they, (laughs) the 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 likelihood that they're going to get trapped especially since it's a a, an adventure for first to third level characters uh, is very very high and then the objective is to get out and um it begins with a ship. It, the The ship is. is it, what level of spoilers do you want to get here <laughs> on the elevator? I mean, whatever,
1: goes, you're the whatever you're willing to share. Whatever you're. It's up to you, Matt.
2: <laughs> well, I guess we'll. I guess we'll say that at the at the core of it is uh, the the demon princess of uh, dimensions, um, who is a she is. That's the Roach Princess, and she controls gaps between reality. And so what happens is that this ship. Um, in, in the ship itself, there are many many little um, dimensional gates leading to places that sort of comprise the ship, um, and the objective is to, is to get out is, is is to get out of dodge and you know bring anything with you that you can, and um, you're you're moving between these inter, these uh, interdimensional places. There are um, well I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that. But the uh, uh, because people ought to have something to to, to read and figure out what the whole thing is. But in the playtesting, for example, one of the playtesters said, this is the most scared I've ever been of the dungeon itself that I've (laughs) ever played. And they almost one of the groups almost uh, when they figured out how to get out, they almost left without any of the treasure that they had stacked up to go. Because they just wanted to get out, and so they were saying uh, that that group said, "I I don't think I've ever almost forgotten to bring treasure out of an adventure before." So that's awesome. That is great.
0: Well done. Dan has a uh, Dan has a theory about uh, how all D anD D ultimately devolves into horror. (laughs) It can't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Quite. Now, the, so the Indiegogo for that is over, can we, like, if somebody was dumb enough to miss that,
0: um,
1: is, can we can we get that someplace now or do we have to wait for, uh, for that to show up on Frog God? Uh,
2: I think you have to wait for it to show up on Frog God, although I don't think it will be terribly long. We, we do the printing um, through an actual print shop in the States for our Indiegogos. Um, which we really uh, sort of gelled during COVID, the, you know, trying to get, you know, local, local businesses to, mm. uh, to be helped out by what we're doing. Um, so what that means is that before it goes on drive through, we do have to have somebody go in and format it for print on demand, which will take a little while. But I, I do think that we're putting those up uh, on on drive through and also on the um, on the front website, but it, I don't think it's up yet.
1: Okay, okay. Very interesting. Now, one thing I noticed about that, obviously, is we have the, the, the cover page on screen right now in the bottom right of the, the, the promo image uh, notes that that adventure is statted both for Swords and Wizardry and fifth edition D&D. How long have you been making adventures like that? And what like where do you start writing the adventures nowadays with which which one do you have in mind normally?
2: It it depends on the author. We've been doing that um, almost since we started in like 2010, Um, but we were doing it with Pathfinder rather than with D&D. And so we were doing Pathfinder and Swords and Wizardry. Um, And the the process is pretty long and involved because um it's 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 less difficult with fifth edition D than it was with pathfinder i mean you can see that with with pathfinder which is a very very granular system uh versus swords and wizardry which is a very very light abstract system um there are going to be design features incorporated that are cool for pathfinder but you know shitty for sorry hey what's our uh <laughs> yeah, what's our you're policy you're <laughs> fine i should ask that all right right around um, that you're allowed
1: four per hour is, I, I think the okay <laughs> yeah. according to wandering um, DMs
2: by, by right line. so back backtracking to what i was yeah. what i was yeah. saying before my mouth took over control of my brain um <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Pathfinder, a lot of times, what what what, uh, um, what what people who are buying a Pathfinder adventure, and to a lesser degree, what people who are buying a fifth edition adventure want to see, uh, you know, is stats and creative use of the rules to carve out a new mechanism by which something will happen. Um, in Swords & Wizardry, that's usually not it. What you're looking for is something that is a flavorful description that the DM is going to interpret. And so, um, you In general, it works better to write adventures for the old school system, because then you have got your interesting interpretation with a full description of what's going on, what might change things, so on and so forth, and then somebody who is using the more granular system to take that and be able to simply put numbers onto it. Whereas if you're just writing, here's a number that's going to be used for determining something, if you're converting it into swords and wizardry, and all you've got is the number, then your converter is put into the role of having to flesh out a flavor description uh, of what goes on. So usually it does work better when you're starting with the old school adventure. Um, With with Death Ship, I definitely started with swords and wizardry. Um, And then uh, uh, Edwin Nagy, who uh does our the the majority of our fifth edition conversions uh went in and and, uh and adapted that to where it would work with um not only fifth edition rules but also with fifth edition call it sensibilities or expectations i mean there's there's there are sort of cultural social expectations um from customers about what um kinds of things are going to be done in an adventure uh, with you know probably the most obvious of those being that if you're going uh, totally old school, you can have something that is rocks fall, everyone dies um, because you should not have gone into this and there were a couple of clues that you shouldn't have gone into this, but once you're into it you, you know it's not a saving throw, it's if that much rock falls on you then you're going to die, whereas there is an expectation that you simply won't see that in a 5th edition type of adventure, and that was also the case with Pathfinder that no matter what mistakes I may have made, I should still get a saving throw because a lot of the game itself is built on the character sheet and therefore uh, you know, there there are rules based things that are expected to be able to kick in, and that you're sort of violating the social contract if you have something that's rocks fall, everyone dies. So that kind of thing w- gets worked in as well as. And it's not just number crunching to do uh,
0: conversion. That's that's a really uh, I think fascinating insight, and 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 kudos for for doing that level of translation. Um, I know. Um, we talked I think about this topic with a few other guests. I mean all the way back to our first guest ever, Ian McGarty, when we talked about publishing D D stuff. And I, I myself have written stuff. Ian for was old your school.
2: first guest. That must yeah. that must have been a spectacular show. <laughs> <laughs> right? It was it was indeed. It was indeed. Yeah. yeah. I could do a whole show I could do a whole show just talking about Ian McGarty. <laughs>
0: Um, I think I think most of our discussion there about like five E versus old school boiled down to like like page count, right? Just that like for fifth edition level stats you just need a lot more pages. Um, but to, to take it to that level I think is fascinating of of like what are the expectations of the players and how does that differentiate between Swords and Wizardry versus versus Fifth Edition or Old School in general and and the newer games. Um I know, I know. I know. We're gonna get eventually to uh, talk about the old school primer, and I feel like that's like we're just teasing at that right now. Like that's... <laughs> well, I gotta say
1: that what Matt just said was probably the single most cogent like summary of that difference that I yeah. have seen. So I'm like, I'm like, right. Matt was totally the right guy to write the old school primer because that was like the best possible expression of that issue right there. Um, uh, when uh, kind of slightly follow it up in um or, or so we're you know our show right tries to do this same straddle job of on any particular week we talk original D and we talk fifth edition and we kind of try to straddle it and you know it's actually been moderately successful all things considered and i assume that if you're you're continuing continuing that at frog god and necromancer that, that you're finding the same I remember that the beginning of last year, you go back to January 2020, there was this really nice, so right before the pandemic happened, there was this really nice article written on a site called Dicebreaker um, by, uh, what was his name? Um, ah, I'm not coming up with the author's name, but a really nice article um, on this Dicebreaker site about uh, the, 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 it's like the fanatics who still play original D&D from the 70s or something like that. And it was primarily written with a whole bunch of quotes from you and me, actually. So if somebody looks up the Dicebreaker article, have, the whole thing is just quotes from yeah. Dan Collins and Matt Finch all the way down. Um, which I thought was I was an astounding good company. About frankly, and when uh, when the author uh, <laughs> contacted point. me, I was like, really, okay, <laughs> great, <laughs> oh, wonderful. Now, rate. Right, so they were saying, okay, some people still still do that. Some people still play original D D. Um, and then of course the pandemic hit and we know that, you know, market wise, as people were locked up, there was like this huge explosion in people watching D live plays on YouTube and critical role took off even more than it used to. And the virtual tabletops were seeing a huge influx of, of players. And so I'm wondering if, did you, did you guys see like an additional influx in the last year? to Old School and Swords and Wizardry, or is 5th edition just sucking all that, that new interest up?
2: I I think that the, um, the overall body of Old School games probably saw an upsurge. Um, swords and Wizardry, we were in the middle, we had already done a long time ago, a Kickstarter for the box set of Swords and Wizardry. And all through that period of time, we were waiting for that to get uh, printed in china and delivered to us so we were sort of in a um a holding pattern really on that um now doug zielsdorf who runs our organized play system did see a a, a big big upsurge in the number of people who were playing swords and wizardry online but i think what you saw mostly was um you know various call them retrocloner simulacrum games or um you know going back to an old school but it's a new system you know but those sort of games that people have been publishing uh really ever since osric the, there's been a, a lots and lots and lots of variant old school style games um i think those probably saw an upsearch because that the old school essentials i think came out during that period or just before yeah. um and i think it was a lot of interest in old school essentials which is basically a uh, a bx um basic expert set which is Going back to the what's called the Red Box that was published by Moldvay, I believe I'm not not 100 sure that it's that one. Um, most of the old school systems that people build things from are either OD&D, Advanced D&D, um, that Red Box um, from like 1980, I think it is, and then the '83 Beckme system that Frank Mentzer was behind, and, and those tend to be the cores that people do something from. It's either uh, they're trying to actually you know clone the rules or they're taking that as the as the fundamental basis, basic engine for the system that they're doing, only they're trying to improve it by putting their own house rules in um, or, uh, you know, th- so there's various approaches to it. But I, I, I my guess would be that the old school probably did see um, quite a bit of additional activity, although really hard to say because those the, the, by, by definition, the people who are playing those the majority of the people playing those games probably weren't on virtual tabletops until they had to be. So it may not be additional interest, what you may be seeing is just additional interest in VTTs, virtual tabletops, more than it is necessarily the old school. No, no real way of telling that, but there, there certainly was more activity. Yeah,
0: yeah, interesting. I, I was wanna, looking at numbers. Go ahead, Paul. I just want to quickly call out our uh, excellent chatters who have yes. uh, linked to the article on Dicebreaker and pointed out that the author is named Stephen T. Wright. Thanks, thanks everyone. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> I like I like what Stephen did with that quite a bit. So yeah, I would I would recommend. Um, folks read that uh, from uh, from from start of last year. Um, uh, what was my? Yeah. And the other thing is I was looking at like numbers on uh, from, I think, fantasy, fantasy grounds again, right before the pandemic hit and they were running 70 percent fifth edition, they were running eight percent Pathfinder at the time, which actually I was slightly surprised Pathfinder was still as high and then everything else kind of smaller numbers than that. Um, which is interesting to see. Um, let me ask this. So there was I thought so again, trying to straddle. You know, I'm realizing that I might have made a huge mistake here, just in case we have inviting me out of the show. I,
2: I can see that a lot of people, a lot of people <laughs> reach that, that reach that point really <laughs> I, early on when they're talking to me. <laughs> I,
1: I think that was that's that's exactly off. That was the best thing I've done in the last two weeks, frankly. So the, the, th- the thing I haven't done just in case we have a viewer that doesn't know what matt's swords and wizardry game is we should say it is what some people call a retro clone that should be compatible with you know what some of us call classic d d or what our what our friend william i think calls pre-2000 d d which would be really you can take a swords and wizardry adventure and you can play original d d or first edition or second edition a d d or basic or bx or Beckme. me or Osric, or any of those kinds of retro clones or old school essentials, and they're really right. entirely compatible. It depends,
2: right? on your level. it depends on your level of focus, because I mean, all of the games that were pre-D20 are going to be largely compatible with each other. They, mm-hmm. they had the same yeah. basic structure of the way they were doing. So you can, um, and, and I will hold up since I've got, and again, this may be a printer proof or it may not, I don't know whether this is the actual thing or not. This is the box set that wow. um, we just, we've we started delivering this through kickstarter um uh we did the kickstarter a long time ago we've actually started sending these out probably most people have have already gotten them um and what but what swords and wizardry is is the um it's the the original box set let me see if i've got one to hand i don't it's in the other room um it's the original d d set which contained three booklets um uh and then it also pulls in um, the, the supplements there we go okay so this is what i needed here. what's those supplements um, and then in addition to that source and wizardry complete also pulls in various articles from the strategic review because for example the ranger did not actually show up uh, in original dnd uh, at all it showed up in the uh, uh in advanced dnd but it what came but there was an article in strategic review um, and so basically any source that we could pull in that was original D&D um so that you cr- are created with a snapshot of this was original D&D at the very moment that advanced d d came out right before advanced d d came out and the scope of it is is pretty much the same as advanced D&D it's not it's not very much smaller in terms of the overall scope but it is a much rules lighter system than advanced D&D um so this is a way for people to play um the the original version of the game um And it is designed to be as close to the rules as legally possible. As if so, there's nothing in there that is me um, sort of trying to redesign what it was that Gary wrote. It's just, this is what Gary wrote. We even tried to leave the ambiguities intact. Although when there was an ambiguity, we would generally say either, um, you know, we've talked to a whole bunch of people who played and really this wasn't actually an ambiguity. It was done this way, not the other one. the, the largest one of those being initiative, original D&D did not contain an initiative system until Eldritch Wizardry came out. Um, and I don't like, I, I personally do not like the initiative system that they came out with, with the Eldritch Wizardry. Um, what Gary said was look at chain mail. Uh, which was a, a, a war game, a uh, fantasy war game that uh, they had done. But the problem is that Chainmail simply does not work for initiative in D&D. There are, it's, you, it can't be done. What do you want? He was trying to cross-sell okay. something. Okay. You know, he did that a whole bunch, but it really doesn't work. And so what we've got in Swords <laughs> and Wizardry, there we go. <laughs> what we've got in Swords and Wizardry is we we do one default because, um, you know, it's modern times. Um, people have to be t- told, you know, here uh, here is your default rule set um there has to be something in order for someone to learn a thing um so here is your default but here are all the other ways in which you can do initiative because the idea back at the time of odd with the war gamer mindset um was absolutely you house ruled everything in those wargaming clubs they, they, you know people actually rented buildings kept the minis there there were people who went there you know every week a couple times a week um it was it was very much a different world nobody could afford to do something like that now but that's the way that it was kind of done and people were very very con- comfortable with the idea that you know here's a rule set that, that is made up entirely of options um and so we tried to you know leave those options intact but phrase them more in terms of options rather than um, rather than everything being the, rather than there is no core rule set so you know here here are there is a core here that you can follow and learn but here are all of the house rules so you know it's a it's a it's a pretty close clone there are there are various things in there that are different from original D. those are only for legal reasons so for example uh the strategic review version of the illusionist is not in there and the reason is that the legality of swords and wizardry is based on the open gaming license um which tags into the system reference document what ended up in a system reference document was a thread what ended up in the system reference document was a very different illusionist than the one that was published in the strategic review what's published in the strategic review is therefore not that that copyright um and, and those those thoughts were not they never got bundled into the system reference document so it would be a copyright violation to basically reproduce a lot of the flavor and so on from the illusionist that showed up in the strategic review so that's not in there um but the ranger on the other hand the the whole strategic review presentation of the ranger went almost precisely into the srd so that was one where Mm -hmm. we did have the safe the legal safe harbor so getting you know way down a rabbit hole here but that's in terms of what swords and wizardry is is it is a way of playing um the full scope of od codified into one book, so that it's all in one place. Uh, it's a lot easier to learn than the original presentation of it, which was done piecemeal, um, as they published it. Um, but uh, yeah, and there and there are going to be some variations from it. But those variations were designed by people who, you know, intimately knew od uh, and and worked it in there. So um, it, it's, it's a way of playing the, the actual original um old school approach to things and that and you tend to see so for example when fourth edition came out and all of a sudden a lot of people that had been playing third edition suddenly realized that they were going to be playing something out of print suddenly you yeah. sort of get released from that and you're like you know what if i'm going to play something out of print i can play anything and, I'll, and we had a, a huge number of people say you know mm-hmm. okay well let me go back to the original and you know see what what this looked like right at the get-go and it's an absolutely valid workable game system. Um, that has its own very distinct style, certainly distinct from 3rd edition, very distinct from 4th edition. I would say it's very distinct from 5th edition as well, although 5th edition did dial back uh, some of, of what I tend to call the newer school, which is really the granularity. They, tended to, they dialed that back quite a bit, so 5th is actually somewhat closer to an old school style of play than 4th and 3rd
1: interesting interesting and it's interesting you know you um i i like that you pay such close attention to the specifics about the the legalities of licensing and i do too and having gone down that exact same rabbit hole a number of times i'm often really surprised at how much um text from original d d like from a spell or strategic review got copy pasted into first edition second edition third edition right in the srd and i can find specific sentences in the srd of 2000 that came right off gary's typewriter in 74 or 75 or something like that um not everything and it's interesting that because um one of the um one of our colleagues on the odd 74 forums i think yesterday said you should ask matt why he basically wrote a third edition pathfinder game and i'm like that's not the take i would come away from swords and wizardry with frankly it doesn't look very much to me like third edition uh even though you're working off that srd that, that several of us had it really it really feels a lot more like original
0: D to me yeah
2: it's it's not a, a... <laughs>
0: I would I would mention to our viewers that if uh, if any of our viewers are looking for a way to dig into old school D and D or OD and D, Swords and Wizardry is a great option. Uh, if you don't have the big bucks to shell out on uh, eBay for one of those lovely white boxes, uh, somebody told me recently that they're going really high these days. Yeah, we had so you know it's and, and the other thing that Matt just said that's funny is when an
1: edition goes out of print. I mean, like for for me when when they went from 3.0 to 3.5 that was my personal jumping off spot uh mm. circa 2007 and i went out on ebay and i got this this white box right here and at the time it was it so was exactly three. what it
2: was that i was talking about yeah. the whole the whole thing about it, if i'm playing something yeah
1: yeah 100 yeah. and i and you know and and i've been playing you know dnd for 40 plus years uh and i never got this i didn't have this um th- this this you know was stopped being printed probably months before i got into D actually and so i got this in 07 immediately fell in love with it and so for me you know some people say oh you're just being nostalgic and i'm like i didn't have this for the first 30 years of me playing DD, and this is my favorite you know this kind of play is my favorite play and i'm so glad i got that anyway my point is when i got that in 07 i was like hmm sixty dollars i have to make a real hard choice about that i guess yeah it's pretty it's close to my heart i'm going to get this and somebody yesterday said it's going for like fifteen hundred dollars now
2: it depends on the on the set and the printing yeah
1: yeah wild crazy
2: yep Yep. Yep. crazy
1: so as, as paul said uh swords and wizardry you can you can get um You can can get about a hundred copies of that. (laughs) And give it to everybody that you know. It's really the the, the better economic choice, frankly. (laughs) All right, so one thing, okay, so we're about halfway through here. So one thing that that we have wanted to get into for a long time and uh, this came up from um, uh, people online the last couple of days, uh, said we want to talk about uh, Matt's Quick primer to old school gaming, and that's uh, a, a but a 20 page document that you printed in 08. So right around the time when I was jumping from third edition back to OD and D, and that that would be one year before you published Swords and Wizardry. So um, so I kind of want to dig into that one, and the, you know many of us, many of our viewers have uh, philosophy degrees, and so. Uh, I feel like the Quick Primer is a good place to talk about the philosophy of old school gaming, so I'm yeah. looking forward to this. The the last time that, that we spoke, Matt, you mentioned that it's in the back of your mind to possibly update that, because originally it was written in the context of 3rd edition, which was maybe peak crunchiness, uh, maybe 4th edition might be peak crunchiness, um, and that you might need to potentially update that for the sensibility of 5th edition uh, players. What would be like the top three things you'd have to change in that, in that sense?
2: Well, I think it's the overall tone of the thing, because when I, when I was comparing, what I was trying to do was to explain that old school gaming is not pure nostalgia, since you already touched on that. Um, There is a, a, a style of gaming that existed in the old school community it's not necessarily defined by the old school community but the thing was it had got it had disappeared largely from the mainstream publishing and so what i was trying to do was to say hey here is an approach that's taken in the mainstream of gaming publishing which is you know high level of granularity um and there and and simply to point out there is this other approach which is where you get to with um the the more open-ended rules and um most of the things other than that are detail um the the when you're using open-ended rules you will tend to get adventures that are structured somewhat differently or you can get adventures that are structured somewhat differently that's not necessarily a defining point of what old school gaming is Um, i really wasn't trying to get a definition of what old school gaming, in total, was, um, and so I had. But what, and so I was defining it by contrast, and that's the reason that I really haven't gone back in and tried to update it for fifth edition because fifth edition is actually less of a contrast. Uh, you know, the Wizards deliberately went out and talked to uh, people who were in the old school community um, and 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 brought them in to get input from the osr which at that point was becoming um quite a force on on the internet and so they they were interested in hearing from it not necessarily you know making an old school game but taking input from that community about what was lacking um and in many ways uh, and they took that advice and um so you know fifth edition is certainly fits more with the mainstream or newer school or granular approach but it's much less so than third edition third edition tried to define every possibility in terms of ticking and tying it back to the character sheet rather than to what a player might think of um and when you have something that is much more abstract in terms of the character sheet and you are expecting the uh, player to um be playing a smart game whether or not the character ought to be thinking that way or or however you do it but player skill at something being something that was not necessarily either in character or based on the character sheet um so that that was the distinction i was trying to make and that distinction has i think become less stark with the later edition of the game and that's really why i haven't jumped in there you know if they had gone more granular then you know i certainly would have been you know and more of the same back at you, <laughs> you know, in, in, a, in a later edition but it's a lot harder to to sort of you know the, the distinction being less clear it kind of you know fifth edition muddies my definition of old school gaming because it is now more old school than what came before
1: Interesting. Mm, that's,
2: that's fascinating. Yeah, I yeah, gotta I, admit,
1: you know, when I, cause, when cause I crack open no the
2: 50- no one can describe. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. You are you, the guest, Matt. You get
1: the you get the, the, the floor. Okay,
2: well, yeah, I was just gonna I was gonna say, you know, no no one can really define uh, you know old school gaming because it means a bunch of different things. is, You know, are you talking about the community mm-hmm. of old school gamers? Are you talking about what it is that's at the core of a play style? Uh, and even if you are is that something about you know um you know rules light is it or is it is it about you know black and white art there there are a lot of different ways of doing it but there's there's definitely a core of it that has nothing to do with nostalgia and simply has to do with a mindset and a rule style and a game style that had fallen out of favor in the mainstream so yeah, I think and nostalgia is also a part of, you know, the, a lot of the stuff that comes out which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with nostalgia. Sure,
0: sure. Yeah, but I think that um, you know, I mean, you're absolutely right like defining old school is so hard. I mean, that's the I think that's the title of our first episode of this show ever was what right. is old school and we uh, right. hemmed and hawed and tried to define it and I don't know. I don't know if we even got close. But Nailed it. um, yeah, did we? <laughs> Nailed it. Um, yeah, But the primer, I remember when I was um, running my first, when I first got into old school around 2010, I started running my first BX campaign. I had printed out uh, some copies of this thing. I think I just grabbed the first couple of pages, like the first section, so it's a nice trim, like eight-page booklet. And I had a bunch of those sitting on on my table just for random people who joined the game. If they had had no basis in old school, I was like, this pretty much hits the nail on the head. Like, if you want to know how is this game different from all the games you've played prior, just, you know, read this. Um, so I think that, like... Because the difficulty,
2: the difficulty was, at that point yeah. in time, that, that there are... You, you would have somebody who had learned, you know, the basic concept of a, role, of a role-playing game through a granular system. Mm-hmm. And when you present something, you know, any of the older versions, whether it's, you know, BX or, or or Swords and Wizardry or whatever it is, those rules appear to be incomplete to somebody who is coming at it from a more granular system. Yeah. And you have to you have to, you know, sort of light bulb the fact that this is not something where something has been left out. This is something where you're supposed to look at it as a whole and be like, Okay, this is how it's done without having a specific rule for this, 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 this. And so really, the, the thing I was trying to get across was the idea, these are not incomplete rule systems, it, you're reading it that way, because of what you're used to. But yeah. it is not actually in any way incomplete, it's a different style of reading, a different style of playing. So
1: you know, that feeds into a, a, what I thought was a really great question from one of our colleagues named Dicebro on the OD, ODD74 forums who asked, let's say Matt Finch is at a convention, could be TotalCon, could be North Texas, and you get six players that show up at a table for an old school game and they've never played anything but fifth edition. How do you, how do you prime them for that mindset in the five minutes or so that you have before they sit down?
2: Oh yeah. What I what I do in that situation is that I'm like, okay, um, so we've got some rules, and you know I'm gonna I'll be throwing you what it is that you do. That's the resolution mechanic for stuff. But the way that this game is played, just imagine yourself inside the character. Tell me what it is that you would do. Don't look at your character sheet. The answer's not going to be there. You're probably used to seeing it on a character sheet. Just tell me what it is that you want to do, and then we'll and then we'll talk. And in a lot of cases, I do give. Uh, I, I'm not a super big fan of the idea that um, that you don't give any guidance to something. So, if somebody says, you know, well, I, I want to climb a wall, um, you know, I'll, I will give them numbers. I'm like, you know, well, you, know, you feel like you know, you're going to have maybe a two in six chance of climbing that wall and you're going to roll a d6. Do you want to do that? Um, because I think that if you don't, you know, part of a game is probabilities. And mm-hmm. so I don't have a problem with giving people probabilities um in, in terms of making good decisions but that's the way that i govern it is just is just you know tell me you know you're you're looking through those eyes you know you're seeing you know orcs you know shambling forward toward you with spears uh you know there's a there's a door to your left there's a door to your right there's a stone wall up here that you think you might climb what do you do and that's and i yeah. people people have a tendency to uh, to look down at their character sheet for a solution if if the game system that they learn on was one where all of the characters capabilities were defined in terms of the character sheet even if the thing is what your chance to climb a wall whether your chances you know whatever it might be that you, you tend to do that um which is one of the things that i just in, as, as, as as a social feature like is that old school games you tend to have a lot more eye contact with people because they can actually look at you they are have- not great huh. Huh.
0: great. That's it. I love that. I love yeah. that observation. I, I I love the advice of just like immerse yourself and tell me you know what actions you want to take and let go of the rules because that's frankly, it's something I tell people all the time as well. And I think that translates not only just for like people who are more used to the newer games, but folks who are coming to the table who've never played any game at all. And, and definitely the, the reaction I often get from those people is, oh, there's so many rules, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll make a mess of it. And I love being able to give that advice. I'm like, don't worry about the rules, please. It's better. Let go. Yeah, yeah. Just pretend that you're this person in this situation and tell me what you want to do and we'll help you through it.
1: I find oftentimes I get like really more exciting play from brand new, never never played a RPG before. And the players are going to have interesting, unique perspectives. And it's, it's really honestly creative in ways that, that, you know, me uh, maybe being, you know, overly, overly used to how, how the rules work would myself never think of. So I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. OK, let's take it. Let's take it the primer. So the primer <laughs> has right four four main tenets And if I recall correctly, they are uh, rulings, not rules. They are player skill, not so much player character skill. They are heroes, but not superheroes. And the fourth one is don't worry about game balance. So on that first item, ruling not rules, like if I go to the Frog God site, a webpage for swords and wizardry, the, the elevator pitch there, what the the primary thing that it says actually, is it says no spot checks. And I guess I'm going to say, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So bring on Matt Fitch, our very good colleague. um, And, um, so there's a little bit of a rhetorical trick in the quick primer in that it says okay old school D had no uh search roles for traps which is true and then it says uh there's no rolling dice to find a hidden lever um and then it says and there's no rolling dice to find a secret door now admittedly admittedly um volume three does actually have roles to find secret doors like so to find a secret door and you, you have to say that you're searching but there isn't like you said a two in six chance to find a secret door or hear a noise or to be surprised and you did keep that in swords and wizardry so was there am i am i misinterpreting what you meant by that or did you have a change of heart when you wrote swords and wizardry a and year later actually did have a die roll to find secret doors
2: well I mean, specifically on the die roll to find secret doors. Uh, I, the, what, what I was really trying to get across in the primer is that there's not passive radar, and so the, the you know so the equivalent comment that would be made now uh, would be there's no passive perception, and and the point of that um, you know there are a lot of very gamist elements in. OD&D. They're speckled throughout. They're, they're, they're the sort of the hard points uh, of, the, of the game system at, at, that's there. But the point that I was trying, because I wasn't necessarily trying to teach people how to play OD&D when I wrote the primer. I was trying to teach people, here is this general suite of old school play style, which is the, the, the light rules. Um, and for that, the important thing to understand is that you have to interact with the adventure. You cannot simply rely on creating a character that will have a certain level of passive radar that will then be disclosed various important facts that you have to be saying, um, I want to look behind the curtain, you know, things things like that. So, I mean, I'm not sure if that's really the, the on-point point answer to the question, but that is the objective of removing the the idea that the character sheet is necessarily the be all and end all. Because yeah, I mean you've definitely got secret role secret door checks. But you have to say, I am searching, unless you are an elf. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. You See, Dan, you was, are, you are so doing it.
1: our friend Ash in the chat, and I had the book here. I was That was my next question. So thank you for...
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Matt headed us off. <laughs>
2: yeah. But, but I think the point, the, you know, the point being that, you know, that ODN, you know, every game has rules. It has some hardwired rules and you know there's there are the ones in O D D, there are more hardwired rules in advanced dnd there are hardwired rules you know in uh in second edition DD. though they're not necessarily the same according to each of those different systems um and uh you know so there there, there are going to be rules in there but the point being that it is an, uh that, that other than whatever it is that's gone on to your character sheet as a result of those rules being, you know, whether it's a secret door check or whatever, that other than that, it is an interactive game where you are in the, the, the mental challenge of going through this dungeon that you're visualizing and that you've got, uh, you know, that, that it's, that it's all talking back and forth for the most part. There may be puzzles to solve that should be, on, a, on the old school style, for the most part, those should be actual mental puzzles, they should not be something that would be solved by rolling, um, you know, an intelligence check would, would be the way that you would do it in, uh, in fifth edition, for example. Uh, fifth edition certainly suggests and people, you know, will fudge it one way or the other and make it playable whatever what, in whatever way works with their group. But there is a an underlying um Ollie outs and free basically um for you know where you can uh, roll a die and, and get a clue or the entire solution the suggestion of the rules is that it's the whole solution i think most people what they do is a clue um but to maintain that mental puzzle aspect of uh, of, of playing dd i mean i'm you know gary would have no problem i think um if what he wanted the challenge to be was that someone has put a crossword puzzle on the door of the temple, and you have to fill in the crossword from tiles. He'd give him the crossword and be like, "Go to it." Um, you know, whereas in, in in Fifth Edition, there's the uh, the, the 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 idea that you, you that you would have some sort of die roll to get around the mental puzzle. And I don't think that was the way that that it was originally um, played. Partly because just it, you know, puzzles are fun. Um, you, you get all kinds of stuff thrown into the way that people play older school D anD D, where they're like, now here's a new challenge. Here's Jenga. Let's do you know play Jenga. Let's see right. how you do. Right. Um, you know, or
1: or or this jousting game or outdoor survival. Yeah.
2: Or <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Outdoor survival being an excellent point
1: that might actually have actually happen. It's required. I'm, it, it's required yeah. in the lo- in the rules. It actually becomes before dice or paper or players. You're supposed to have. <laughs> <laughs> you you got, yeah. Look at that right
2: there. Like, Gary, get that, Barry then you get skill. dice,
1: then you get was, players and a pencil.
2: He was a, he was a salesman. There's no question about it.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. You know, Paul. So Paul has an interesting take on the puzzles thing. Is where I think Paul's um, take is he likes it as an add on. Like, like kind of an optional add-on to something. Is that
0: right, Paul? I've, I've used it that way. I mean, puzzles can can easily cut either way on the energy level of the table, right? Like, if you have the right oh, yeah. players, they might be super into it, and then, great, here's the puzzle, go nuts. But my fear is always that there's one player at the table who's super into it, and they start mucking with the puzzle, and everyone else at the table then gets out their phones
2: and, you know, disengages uh um, weights sure and you, I mean, you've, got, you've, got problem, you've got that problem with uh with role playing too i mean you get somebody who's super into role playing it's true uh you know or a group of people who are all into role playing and one person is not you know and you've and you're leaving that person you know having you know a, a rotten time you've got to gauge everything but the but the point being that you know i can see that if you take the worst rules lawyer um using third fourth fifth edition you know any of the granular system you take your worst rules lawyer um the, you, you, can, you can see somebody making an argument like, you're not allowed to put a crossword puzzle in front of me. And, and, and my point is that you know th- this is something that um, can fit in the rules if it works with your group. And it, it tends to be sort of the, the idea of a completely tangential puzzle, Is a little bit pushed aside in the later versions and that's not a bad thing if you've got a dm who's willing to pull it back in if it works but the when you're talking about what is the the mindset that somebody who has just learned on one of the newer rule sets you're going to have somebody who is is not is is possibly not realizing hey here would be a fun thing to do solve this Django puzzle and you're able to you know get the gem out of the Idle, and you get a bunch of people who are like jenga they're like great let's play let's play some jenga and then we're going to go find out what we do with our our thing it's, it's just a more open flexible kind yeah. of context
0: you know the, yeah. the the thing i always wonder about this um and i usually think of this uh, more in terms of um you know social interactions rather than than puzzles but like you know the role play element right there are we gonna mm-hmm. are we gonna talk our way past this guard by actually talking or am i gonna roll some dice um is that there's this weird separation between sort of like physical and mental ability and whether you test the player or their character right that like no one expects when i'm going to lift the uh portcullis that the dm is going to pull out a set of weights and say go to it show me that you can lift (laughs) you know a hundred pounds um Whereas, when we get to something like a social interaction or possibly a mental interaction where it's like there's this puzzle and you need to figure it out, you know, it's, it seems reasonable that we get grumpy if we're like, oh, you're not immersing yourself. You just want to roll dice. That's no fun. Um, and my, my question is always sort of like, where, where do you draw the line? Like, why do we even have mental abilities on our character sheets if we're not going to use them?
2: Interesting. Uh, i mean i think, I think one <laughs> answer to that is yeah. in, in, in in if you if you look at the beginning of the timeline uh in O D D um there are virtually no mental um abilities tracked there i mean you've got things that have to do with how many spells you can get for a magic user for how many additional languages mm-hmm. you can get but there there really is um no suggestion that the mental abilities have any interaction with the game itself as it is played by a player. I think, you know, with OD&D, you've got the um, the, 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 the strongest um, form of the idea that player skill is way, way more important than your character. You know, even the ability scores, if you look at that, the ability scores do very, very little in advance yeah. Yeah. In, in, in OD&D. for your character it's you know you're you you go up one level you are tremendously you're you're getting more bonuses than you could have gotten from any rolling of ability scores ability scores become much more important relative to level later on um but i do you know you you certainly have to draw the line but i think that the you know where you really draw that line you know your objective is to have a fun game Mm -hmm. and you know you uh And that's going to depend on you know you and your group i I think you have a particular group you look around that group could cause you to break toward one rule set or another in terms of which rule set is going, i mean the rule set really shouldn't be first what Mm. should be first is your group of players um but most people begin with the rule set as the the beginning point but um you know i I think you, you gauge it by your players whether you know is this a group of people who are going to have a lot of fun Uh, solving a problem with jenga or should we go a different route Mm -hmm. in terms of things you know and hopefully you're not rolling every single thing based on skills where you're just rolling dice but you know there are um probably groups where that would work best as well
0: i i think that's really insightful right like it's it really comes down to reading the room and that's that's generally what i try to do as well is is have options on hand for both directions so that i can sort of get a gauge for is this group going to like this or not because i mean it i i agree get get your players together first and then and then fit the game to them of course when you're running a game at a convention you just that is completely flipped upside down right like you you have no control over who's going to show up at your table um so yeah, I think any any anything any system where you give options, I think is uh, is really helpful, and that's and and that will bring me back right back to lauding uh, Swords and Wizardry, which of course you know gives you those options <laughs> right there in the text, right? Yeah. Like here's you can go A or B, you can have ascending or descending AC. What do you want? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and yeah. is
0: and is clear about what the default
1: is, and then and then here's an option. That I, you know, I feel even that was a thing that didn't really get into books until like after 2000, and frankly, I was very appreciative when the books uh, start when game books started saying, here's the default route rule, and then be very clearly, here's an option. I, for me, that worked very, very nicely to clearly define what the status was of those things, actually. So I really much appreciate that. You know, let me ask one other thing. And I think it's so, useful to <clears throat> say why, you know,
2: here's one reason why you might pick one or the other, you know, this is the, the yeah. overall, and we yeah. tried to do that, you know, especially in the yeah. initiative section to say, this is going to be the overall effect if you choose this one as opposed to this one or this one. So
1: yeah, totally. I very, I very much appreciate that, and uh, I think that's, I think that's a good way to go. Uh, you know, so the person, the reader doesn't have to go back and redo that re- research uh, that you've done. Why not, why not put that helpfully in the book about why, what the, what the pros and cons are there? Yeah. Let I me mean, ask one other thing. So, with, with the fourth tenet in the quick primer of don't worry about game balance, I was just a little surprised to see in Swords and Wizardry a pretty robust challenge level system. So. The, the monsters only have about four stats or so, and one of them is is challenge level. And there's a table for creating new monsters and assigning challenge level bonuses uh, for particular abilities. And you've got encounter charts set up that way, and a list of challenge level appropriate monsters. How does that? How does having a, a challenge level system to create encounters? Uh, uh, face off against the "Don't worry about game balance" principle.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's, there's actually no contradiction there. The, the, the don't wor- Here, here's uh, the, the challenge level system is designed to allow the DM to create predictive strata of risk and reward. The players decide, and, and this is this is one of the things where uh, you know. Even within the old school, you get an argument because you got some old school DMs who are like, you know what? It is what it is, and they got to be able to run away. Um, and my view on it is the players have to know, the players should be able to decide what level of risk and reward you want to get. So if you think back, there was the question of, are we going to go into the first level or do we want to go down to the second level? And we really don't want to go down into the third level because that's going to kill us until, we've got play, until our fighter has plate mail. Until the first thing is get plate mail. Next thing is third level, and so that and 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 that is the type of thing that I'm talking about in terms of balance. What you don't want to have happen is to say that is for the DM to say, you know what? Until you've got until you've got some plate mail, you just can't find the stairs to the third level. Okay, that's what I'm talking about as being avoid avoid focusing on game balance. But I do think it's very important that the players have the ability to gauge risk and reward and make decisions. And if they choose to go into an area that is super dangerous, hoping that they're going to find maybe but
1: plate
2: are but they're willing to take that risk, then absolutely go for it. You don't want to be trying to block that. But in order to do that, The dm you know who keep in mind if someone's reading this for the first time you've got no idea whether a purple worm is more dangerous than a goblin so that you've you've got your challenge rating system to 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 allow the dm to get a a relative difficulty level there to make it predictable that the stuff that's in the first level is going to be roughly the same here you need which means you need to have a what's a challenge level so all of that's built in there to allow the dm to construct an area that does have predictable risk areas but not to enforce that on the players is the is, is the way that i view that
1: okay if i if i get in a, in a convention game being run by matt finch are are, are you going to be dialing the mon the, the monster strength up and down on the fly to match the party or is that something you don't do
2: uh it is something that i do not do because the although that's partly because of the type of convention game that i run almost always what i run is a, a mega dungeon crawl um people can bring back if people can bring character that they've played in the convention before as long as it's not too high level i've got to cut off the fifth level um just, but that way you actually keep your experience points you can level up from one game to the next you can keep your magic items from one game to the next um and uh and and it, and it is a basic you know where are you Where do you want to go and i'll give them the starting point but they can head in any direction that they want to go to so i'm very much running something that um i don't know i guess you might call it simulationist, or whatever it is but it's you know there it's um they they go it's it's there regardless of what it is that they've got with them if i were running a scenario i would definitely make whatever adjustments i wanted to do to, to make it risk appropriate for that group but in general, when I'm at conventions, because I'm running, uh, you know, a, a beer and pretzels mega dungeon type of game, uh, the risk level is not going to change.
1: Fascinating, fascinating. That's great. I'm so I'm so glad we I'm so glad I got an opportunity to ask that actually because that's been I thought I had you stumped there, Matt.
0: Honestly, I thought, <laughs> I thought with the
1: with the secret door roll, and I thought I was going to trap you with the
2: elf <laughs> issue, and
1: I thought I thought I had you cornered on the challenge level issue, but Matt Finch has has far out me on this episode i'll give you this one, this, this, this one I'll give to matt i've been bested this time all right no that's, shame in that that's
0: that's a, that's about our time so it's uh so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here um thanks uh everyone for watching and thank you matt uh, for joining us if any folks have any more zingers uh that uh if we ever get matt back on and want to want to try and trap uh trap matt in the uh
2: uh, help, rules help lawyer Dan out out. on the trap on the trap Matt Finch game. <laughs> I need I need yeah. I need that help,
1: yeah. But, but yeah. I yeah. I never got the two and six roll to get the trap going. So there you go. uh, uh, I need I need at least six options next time. Yeah, leave us leave us, leave us a...
2: by Jenga if need be. <laughs>
0: excellent excellent. If you want to see Dan and Matt play Jenga on this show,
2: leave <laughs> us a comment
0: in the video uh, comments below. Uh, or pose any questions for future future interactions. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Uh, we, we very much would. And uh, remember, if maybe you're new to the show, uh, having Matt here on today, uh, you can like, follow, and subscribe to Paul and me, uh, the Wandering DMs on YouTube and Twitter and Twitch and Facebook and GitHub. And uh, you can see announcements about upcoming uh, shows and guests that we'll have on the Wandering DMs channel. So we hope you'll do that.
0: If you prefer to listen to this show in audio-only podcast format, you can do that. Uh, The shows are available on our website at wadnerydams.com, also through various third-party carriers such as Google Podcasts and iTunes and Spotify. Uh, If you are listening to us on one of those other carriers, please take a moment to rate and review our show there. That helps other users of that platform find us, and we really appreciate it.
1: We, we very much do. Uh, a couple comments on shows coming up on the Wandering the Ems channel this week. Uh, Paul's back with more ten dead rats coming up this Thursday. Getting close to the end of the season, actually. So I think you're, I think you're closing up on a Seas- uh, on season a, on finale a this season. Thursday. Okay, catch yeah. that season finale uh eight to 10 p.m right before critical role thursday night i will be back with uh my partner isabel for more old school war gaming with book of war uh mass army mass combat on saturday night at 8 p.m um and i think we're we're planning a special uh show coming up next sunday actually so we hope that you'll look for those things on uh, youtube and and, uh, twitch here on the wandering games channel also a huge shout out to our patrons who support the wandering dms channel we could not have great guests like matt finchon without your generous support and also you know support for getting the show ready like you know got a number of questions to make this show better today so we, we could not thank you enough if you're in a place to join our generous patrons we do hope that you'll go check out patreon.com slash wandering dms find a tier level that's appropriate for you and unlock a bunch of benefits that we have from wandering dms like access to a private discord server where we have ongoing chats about old school dnd and wargaming and all kinds of things like that and fifth edition uh happening all the time uh monthly behind the scenes videos polls and surveys on things that you'd like to see on our upcoming shows or our blog article articles um uh discounts on merch and access to after party chat that we have every Sunday afternoon right after the show we go and we get on a video chat with our with our best viewers uh, and continue the discussion for another hour or so afterwards. So we hope that you'll check out uh, the patron for that. And now Paul will tell us all the things that I've
0: forgotten. About <laughs> no, you're the good, Dad. You're good, Dan. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well,
1: okay. You, Today, the thing I'm wrong round. about is that I didn't get anything wrong. <laughs> Wonderful. Great. It's made a. <laughs> it's a made a mistake. So uh, Matt Finch, we, uh, we are we have been wanting to have you on uh, for for quite some time, and we are so happy we finally got you on. What a what a great insightful uh, uh, original D and D writer uh, to have as a resource, and we are all so fabulously thankful that you're you're in the field and working on swords and wizardry and more adventures so thank you so much for for being on today matt
2: no thank you it was a, it was a great time and it's a great show
1: awesome awesome we, we definitely we will have you back on and we'll dig into more swords and wizardry until then look for matt's swords and wizardry if you haven't read it already, go and get The Quick Primer on Old School Gaming. Uh, we'll be waiting for Matt's uh, upcoming adventure to be published on um, uh, Frog God Games. Uh, we have links to all those things in the description on YouTube. Um, so, And until then, we'll be looking forward for the next time Matt's on the show. We will try even harder to trap him at that Mm. point. And maybe, (laughs) so so it's currently 1-0 Matt. (laughs) currently Matt Finch 1, Wandering Dam 0. I'm going to try to tie it up next time. So thank you for that, Matt. (laughs) 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 Don't forget that we, the Wandering Dams, we are live every Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we do hope that you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone.